You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. It's good to be here with you today uh, for the first of my last four Sundays with you uh, here at Asbury. And it's going to be the beginning of a sermon series that I've wanted to share with you for a while now called The Prodigal, which will focus on the parable of the prodigal son from Luke's Gospel. So let us hear God's word for us today from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, And losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Over the past few weeks, as we get ready to move down to the southern kingdom at the end of this month, Suzanne and I have been working on some projects around the house that we've been putting off, in some cases, for a long time. You know how that is. You start moving, you start cleaning, you start throwing stuff out, and you're like, ooh, I meant to take care of that six years ago. You know what I'm talking about? So we we tore out some old carpet. We replaced some baseboards. We've shredded a ton of papers. Uh, I'm surprised that my shredder is still holding up because I have put so much stuff through that thing, like tax returns from 1998, you know, that kind of a thing. Gone. And there was one project that we were working on that we needed a Phillips head screwdriver. Now, I own probably a dozen Phillips head screwdrivers, except when I went to the area where we keep all of our tools, all I could find were flathead screwdrivers. There was not a Phillips head screwdriver anywhere to be seen. So, since we'd started packing and organizing, we're like, well, it's got to be around the house somewhere. We probably just used it. So we walked around the house, nowhere to be seen. Suzanne said, well, maybe it's in your car. I was like, I don't know why in the world it'd be in my car, but I'm willing to go look. So I went out, not in my car either. We looked out on the back porch, not there either. To this day, the mystery of the Phillips head screwdrivers at our house remains unsolved. Now, I'm fairly certain that once we get down to Metairie and we start unpacking boxes, we're going to go, well, there they are. You packed them like three months ago. They're at the bottom of that box. We'll get there. We'll find them. 
but the mystery as of today remains unsolved. Losing something, be it of minimal value like a screwdriver or maybe something more valuable than that, can bring us great anxiety. Our possessions have meaning and they have value to us, sometimes not material value, sometimes emotional value that we have a connection to. But if you know how this works, Jesus at face value is painting us a picture of, yes, things that have value, a sheep and a coin. But in this passage, it goes much deeper than that. But we have to dig a little bit deeper to get to what Jesus is really trying to tell us. Specifically, we're going to get to the parable of the prodigal son. But if you know me after four years of hanging out with me, you know that before we get there, we have to look at the context. We have to look at the picture that surrounds it to really get into what is Jesus trying to tell us. The author of this gospel, Luke, is a Gentile. So immediately we know that Luke is not a part of the nation of Israel. He is an outsider. And because of that, Luke's gospel is known as the gospel of the nobodies. Luke shares with us story after story about people who are on the outside <clears throat> that are invited into God's kingdom. Think about Mary. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, when she finds out that she'll give birth to Jesus, she proclaims that God has brought down the powerful and lifted up the lowly. This immediately gives us a picture of what Luke is trying to do throughout his gospel. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. Remember Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Bunky, uh, Nazareth. Nothing good comes from there. And he reads from the prophet. Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Table fellowship is also a really important part of Jesus' ministry. In the ancient world, a meal around the table is reserved for those people that you want to be in deep relationship with. It's an honor to be invited to the table. And even at the table, there are places of honor where you would recognize your most esteemed guests. In Luke chapter 7, there's a fascinating exchange that paints a picture for us of how this works. Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee. And as they eat, a woman walks in with an alabaster jar and she anoints Jesus' feet. Now the Pharisee turns and says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. A sinner. And Jesus hears what the Pharisee is saying and so he says, you know, friend, when I came in, you gave me no water. When I came in, you gave me no kiss. When I came in, you did not anoint my head with oil. These are all symbols of honor when you're invited to the table. When we get to the story of the prodigal son, don't miss the symbolism of these honoring gifts that are given to the son that returns home. 
Yet this woman, Jesus says, this woman has bathed my feet with her tears. She has dried them with her hair. She has anointed my feet. And so to the woman, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In other words, the woman honors Jesus as being the esteemed guest at the table, and in turn, Jesus honors the woman for who she is. We see other stories in Luke. The leper, the paralytic, the widow's son, all people who were invited to the table. And yet those people who are already seated at the table, those people who are already on the inside are left confused and they're envious and they're angry that they're having to share the table. Because Jesus is raising up people who have been pushed down by society for generations. And it threatens everything. And all of these things give us a backdrop for the story of the prodigal son. And we'll get there. But first we have to get to the critical question that launches into these three parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin that we'll talk about today, and then the prodigal son that we'll spend the next three weeks talking about. The first two verses of Luke chapter 15, you've already heard it, but hear it again. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it's in response to this claim that Jesus responds with these three parables. A shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. And on finding it, he puts it on his shoulders, he brings it safely home, and rejoices with his neighbors. It seems simple enough. But a shepherd in Jesus' day might have 10, maybe 15 sheep. This shepherd has 100. This is a wealthy shepherd. And so you would think that losing one shepherd would be no great loss, but it is. And when he finds it, he celebrates. And we might also recognize the great shepherd that Jesus is referred to, who leads and protects his sheep at any cost. A woman loses one of her ten coins, and so she lights a lamp. She searches for it, and on finding it, she rejoices with her neighbors. It seems simple enough. But in this parable, what's really interesting is that no male is mentioned which might suggest that this woman is a widow. And if that's true, then losing one of ten coins would be catastrophic. And yet, despite the situation that she may be in, there is a celebration with her friends and her neighbors when she finds that one coin. And don't miss the fact that in both of these parables, in the recovery of the sheep and the coin, Jesus says that there is more joy in heaven, there is more joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. So what do a sheep and a coin have to do with a sinner that repents? Glad you asked. These parables aren't really about a sheep 
or a coin. They're not really about a shepherd or a woman. They're about the celebration that must accompany a sinner that is lost and returns home. And if a shepherd rejoices for one lost sheep, if a woman rejoices for one lost coin, imagine the celebration that must be held for a child that returns home. Sinners in Luke's gospel are represented as people who are outside. They're Gentiles, they're less thans, they are rejects, they are unclean, and they are unwelcome. Yet in these parables, Jesus points to God's kingdom and God's economy where these people are not only invited in, but they are given places of honor at the table. That sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet is condemned and frowned upon for even being in the room. But Jesus gives her value, he welcomes her, and he honors her. I still vividly remember a time in my life almost 20 years ago now when I found myself in a dark place because of choices that I had made. Most of you know I did not grow up in church. I was not a Christian at the time. But in that moment when I hit the bottom of the proverbial barrel, I'd heard enough about God to call out to Him. And so as I sat in a rental home with no electricity, no gas, just a few days before Christmas, I remember laying there asking God late at night, okay, <laughs> okay, if you're real, now would be a great time to show up. Now, I don't recommend testing God as a method of redemption and repentance. I don't recommend that, but that's where I was in my life. And God showed up in ways that I still, 20 years later, do not completely understand. It took me years to even grasp the idea that God would want anything to do with me. God's grace is scandalous. God's grace is reckless. By our standards, God's grace might even be seen as foolish. But in God's eyes, every person is so valuable that God is always willing to take the risk. He is always willing to search. And God will not stop until every one of His children can hear that they are loved and they are valued and they are invited to take their place at the table. It's not that we're supposed to clean ourselves up first and get our act together, put our lives in order, and then come before God. God waits with open arms to receive us just as we are, and the heavens will rejoice when we turn to Him. In the past days and weeks, we have seen images where grace seems null and void and absent in some places. So hear God's word for all of us today clearly. God loves all of us. And when we miss the mark, and we all do, God searches for us and is ready to restore us and to redeem us at any cost. Because God's grace is just that reckless. 
It is just that scandalous. And it is just that amazing. And so as I pondered this sermon and wrestled with it until about 10 o'clock last night, I couldn't help but wonder what this world would look like if we welcomed the stranger. I couldn't help but wonder if our world would be different if we invited people to the table that maybe we've looked at before and said they're not worthy and they're not like us and they don't believe the same things. They can't come to my table. I wonder what a world would look like if we stood with people that have been pushed aside and pushed down. I wonder what our world would look like if we invited people to the table that don't look like us and don't think like us. I wonder what our world would look like if we were more like Christ today than we were yesterday. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you make room for all of us at your table, that all are welcome there, that you offer to welcome us with open arms, to receive us as we are. So as we gather here today, we bring all of our burdens, we bring all of our past failures to your feet. We bring it all to your table. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.